I was asked this week, do you find it ironic that we are doing a series entitled Homesick during a season when people are utterly sick of being at home? And yes, I get it. I see it. The irony is not lost on me. It is kind of like uh, being stuck on a raft in the middle of the ocean. You're dying of thirst. And yet, ironically, you are surrounded by water. It's not the water that you need, but you are surrounded by water. Friends, this world, it looks like our home, but it's not. It is not our home, at least in the way that it is now. The pandemic, it further proves that point. Something is off. Something is askew. And if we're honest with ourselves, in the quiet moments, we instinctively and intuitively, we sense that we are not where we are meant to be. C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. He said, the fact that our heart yearns for something earth cannot supply is proof that heaven must be our home. The late, great Billy Graham, he said this. He says, my home is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. And that was our point. Last week, that was our whole point. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our our home. We didn't make that phrase up. C.S. Lewis didn't either. Billy Graham, he didn't coin it. The author of Hebrew was first to say this world, so this fallen world, earth as we know it now, is not, repeat, is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to, and here it is, a home yet to come. Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. That is our home. That is our home. Where? Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes a lot of sense to me. It fills in the gaps of my heart, and I will level with you. And I said this last week. I'm going to keep saying it because I am. I am homesick. I am. I long for a place that I have never seen. I long for a place that I have never been to, and yet I know it is my eternal home. I love to think about it. I love to talk about it. I love to dream about heaven. And I think that that is exactly what Jesus told us, or the reason why he told us about it in the first place, ahead of just taking us there so that we could live with hope, so that we could live with anticipation, so that we could live with heaven in mind. Jesus, he wants us to live like we're going home. Here's what I know. How we think about eternity determines how we live today. How we think about eternity determines how we live today. And specifically today, what I would like to do is I would like to start to unpack the details. I want to look at the book and the, what the Bible tells us about our promised home. And so, what will heaven be like? And I think today what I'd like to do is start with a paradigm shift, or what could very well be a paradigm shift, because it was a shift for me. I, I used to think, that when we died, we were immediately, we would immediately go to heaven, spend eternity with Jesus, and that is true. When we die, 
We are with Jesus in heaven for eternity. But at some point in that eternity, heaven will move. Heaven is going to shift locations. Now, I get it that some of this is new info, and some of you might be like, hold on, Jake. Uh, it was new to me five years ago when I started deep diving into the topic of heaven. But I promise you, I am not speaking heresy right now. This is a theological truth. Although rarely taught, it is all over God's word. It's all over the Bible. And yet, somehow, we have skipped over it. We've missed it. And at worst, we've ignored it. And so here it is. We will live in a new heaven on a new earth. We will live in a new heaven on a new earth. God said, I will create new heavens and a new earth. He also said, surely as my new heavens and my new earth will remain, so will you always be my people. What he's saying there is both the heavens and the earth, they are eternal. Peter said, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. John said, I saw in a vision, in a dream, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We will live in a new heaven on a new earth. Let me see if I can explain this through pictures. This is the earth to which you're like, wow, Jake, I am learning so much. This is our planet. This is our current place of residency. And somewhere out there is another place, heaven. And we know that it is a place because that's how Jesus described it. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, this place could be somewhere in our universe. It could be in another dimension. All we know is that when we are on earth, we are unable to see into heaven. We can't see it from earth. And if you are here and you're having trouble accepting the reality of an unseen realm, please consider this perspective. There are cutting-edge researchers, scientists at Yale, Stanford, Princeton, to name a few, who postulate that there are at least 10 unseen dimensions and likely an infinite number of imperceptible universes. And so, if this is what the leading scientists believe, why should we feel self-conscious or anyone feel self-conscious about believing in just one unseen dimension, a realm that contains angels and hell and a place called heaven? And so, there you have it. This is heaven. And i got to be honest with you, it is really hard to illustrate heaven, to, to give it a picture, to give it a frame for us to look at. Because when I was making this picture, I knew that heaven was described as a city. And so I put skyscrapers and all that kind of stuff inside of it. But it just, it didn't, it didn't look right. And, and so I knew I didn't want to go there. I knew that I wanted to go somewhere where there was a Disney castle. And so I stuck it in there and I switched things up. But this is where we'll go. 
When we die, when we pass away, we will be separated from our bodies. And immediately, immediately when we die here, we will be here, like the thief on the cross, with God in paradise. We are, in fact, in heaven. More accurately, we would be in what theologians call the intermediate heaven. Because heaven is going to move. Heaven is going to relocate, and until then, it is what's known as the intermediate heaven or the present heaven. This is where Maggie is. She is in the intermediate heaven right now. And if you had someone who has passed away, this is where they are. They are in the intermediate heaven. And at some point, what Scripture tells us is that the earth, our beloved planet, it's going to pass. It's going to actually burn up. Life as we know it will come to an end. All those movies that you've watched about Armageddon and the end of the world, they're all actually true, minus the zombies, of course. Eventually, the earth will pass. But for those who know Christ, they will be, they will go directly to the intermediate heaven. And then here's what is so great. Just as new life emerges from volcanic devastation, the earth will be renewed. The earth, our planet will be restored and in a way it will be resurrected. And when this happens, that's when heaven is going to move to earth. And we will move with it. We will live for all eternity in the new heaven on the new earth. This is what scripture refers to as the new Jerusalem. And at the center of the city will be a garden, a restored, a renewed Eden, a new heaven on a new earth. Theologians, they call this the eternal heaven. And we're going to talk about this at length over the next two weeks. But for the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to talk about the intermediate heaven. From this point on, we are talking not about the eternal heaven, but about the intermediate heaven, where Christians go when they die. And I want to be clear from the very beginning, this is not purgatory. This is not purgatory. Purgatory is the belief that the soul goes to pay off or to work off sins that were not fully atoned for during life. It's kind of like a purification process. We don't believe that. We believe Jesus atoned all sins for all time on the cross. And so, so no, the intermediate heaven is not purgatory. It is fully heaven. It is fully heaven because God dwells there, and God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And so let's talk specifics. Let's talk about the intermediate heaven, and we're going to do so through three little verses. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. And these are three small verses that gives us a huge glimpse into the intermediate heaven. Starting in verse 9. When he... Speaking about Jesus, when he opened the fifth seal, I, and the person writing here, is John the disciple, John the revelator. He said, I saw, and he saw this in a dream, in a vision. I saw under the altar, meaning into the intermediate heaven, the souls of those who had been slain 
because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. In other words, John saw a bunch of martyrs, saints who had died for their faith. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. See, these, these martyrs, they are desiring justice. They are longing for justice. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Friends, these three little verses are packed full of clues. They reference martyrs who had passed away, humans, people who had died on earth, but are now in the intermediate heaven. And so, based off of just these three little verses, what I want to do is I want to give you ten. Ten quick, and I do mean rocket fire observations, because here's what I believe. I believe it is rational, it is logical, and it is even reasonable to think that the observations made of these martyrs, these humans, these people, could and would also apply to us and our loved ones upon entering the intermediate heaven. And so here you are, 10 observations about the intermediate heaven. Number one, when someone dies on earth, they relocate to heaven. Verse number nine. Second observation. They have the ability to speak. They have a voice. Verse 10 says that they called out. Observation number three. There is unity in heaven. How did they call out? They called out in a loud voice, not in conflicting voices. They were unified in what they were saying. Fourth observation. They were free to ask questions. And we're going to sit here for a second. This is amazing to me. And the reason it is, is because these martyrs, these saints, they have an audience with God. How, how crazy is that? They can talk to God directly, directly to God himself. In fact, not only that, they can ask questions, which implies that they still have the ability and, catch this, the desire to learn. Here's what we understand through this, is that we won't instantaneously know everything about everything upon entering heaven. But here's the good news. We have all of eternity to personally ask God questions. And here's what's the best part. He will answer us. Number five, and this is a big one for a lot of us. The saints, the martyrs, they are aware of what happens on earth. They are aware of what is happening on this planet. Verse 10 says, they know their murderers have not yet faced judgment. I am often asked, can my loved ones see and hear me? If they are up in the intermediate heaven, can they see what's going on down here? And the truth is that we don't know for sure. But here's what I think. I think if God and the angels and these human martyrs can see what's going, down, going on down here, I would have to guess Yes. I believe that so much that there are times when I will talk to my girl. I will talk to Maggie directly. And I don't think it's therapeutic just for me to walk around and pretend I'm talking to her. I am talking to her because I believe that she can hear me. 
Now, she doesn't say a whole lot back at this point in time, but I do. I spend time talking to her. How's your day going today? What's heaven like? What are you doing? Again, she doesn't talk back, but it's great to be able to know that she can see and hear what's going on here. And so the natural follow-up question to that is, if that's the case, if our loved ones in heaven can know what's going on down here, how in the world are they not saddened by watching the pain and the struggles that we still endure on planet Earth? Because heaven, right, it is supposed to be this place where there's no tears, no pain, no sorrow, correct? And so how can, they be not, how can they not be sad? How is that even possible? And the truth is, and I'll level with you, I don't know. I really don't know. All I know is that the Bible upholds both, both realities. They both simultaneously happen. Do they miss you? If you have a loved one, do they miss you in heaven? Yes, they absolutely do. They can see you. Are, are they in pain about it? No. They are not in pain about it. Are they waiting for you to get there? Absolutely, they're waiting for you to get there. Will that be a good day? Yeah, that will be a great day. Sixth observation. Those who have passed and are in the intermediate heaven can remember their lives on earth. Verse 10 says they remember that they were murdered, which is probably, (laughs) it's like a hard thing to forget if you were murdered. But... If they can remember that detail of their life on earth, it is likely that they can also remember other details in heaven when they were, that happened here on earth. We don't start over in heaven. We will remember who we are, what we did, and the ones we did life with. Number seven, seventh observation. They are distinct individuals. Verse 11 tells us that we don't become one collective consciousness in heaven. We remain individuals. And it would be easy not to think so because at first glance, verse 10 says that the martyrs called out in one voice. But here in verse 11, it says each of them were individually handed white robes. Number eight is huge for me. White robes suggest the possibility of physical bodies. Yes, these robes could be figurative, but then again, they could also be physical. Here's what we know. We know that in the eternal heaven, meaning the new heaven and the new earth, there will be, we will have new bodies. There is no question of that. They will be physical. They will be amazing. They will probably look much like the body that you see before you. Strong, powerful, majestic. I will stop there. But theologians, they are divided on whether we will have bodies in the intermediate heaven. When we die, we know that our soul, it separates from our body and our body is left behind. Dust returns to dust. And if you have ever been by someone's side when they passed away in that what I would call a sacred moment. You know exactly what I'm talking about when the soul leaves the body. My wife and I, we were able to be with Maggie in her last moments. She was sitting in between us on the bed and we knew when she took her last breath and we could feel her little hands and her little body getting cold. And when we looked at her, we knew 
that the Maggie we knew and loved is no longer with us. Her soul was not there. Her body was there, but not her soul. Our souls go immediately to the intermediate heaven. But the question remains, when they get there, will that soul have a body? Will it have a shell? Will it have an encasing? I personally lean towards yes, and here's why. To be human is to be mind, body, and spirit, all three. At creation, God breathed life or spirit into a body. And we have never been, you have never been just spirit without a body. A body is as essential as being human as the mind and the spirit. Also, in verse 11, like I said before, it references white robes, and white robes go on what? A body. Verse 10 says that the martyrs called out, which suggests vocal cords, and those, they typically go in a body. At the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah who had died centuries earlier, were seen by the disciples in bodies, not as ghosts, but as individuals who they thought needed tents. Why? Because they had human bodies. Jesus himself is probably the best evidence that we have to having bodies in the intermediate state because he is God incarnate, which means God with a bod. He is referenced to be the first to be resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he walked around on this planet in a resurrected, you got it, body. And so, will we have bodies when we get to the intermediate heaven? And we really will not know until we get there. But if I had to guess, right, and I'm just making a guess here, I think God may give us some sort of bodily form in the intermediate state. The ninth observation, and this, is, this, one's, this one's great, there is time. There is time in, in, in the intermediate heaven. Verse 10 tells us that the martyrs, they asked, how long have we to wait? Heaven is not a state of externalism, which is the view that all existence in time just simply is, meaning past, present, and future are happening simultaneously. This is not the case in heaven. Time in the intermediate heaven has linear form. It exists in the intermediate heaven. Number 10, last one, last observation. God is in control. God is in control. Verse 11 tells us that God told the martyrs that they are to wait just a little bit longer. And I find this comforting, that God still has a plan, that he is still orchestrating everything, everything on this earth, everything including heaven in his utmost able and capable hands. He is in control on heaven and on earth. So, there you have it. Ten observations, ten um, views, ten thoughts on the intermediate heaven, what it will be like. But, here's the bigger question. What does all that mean? Really, what does all that information mean? For one, I hope it helps. And here's what I mean. I hope the reality of the intermediate eternity brings you some sort of sense of comfort, especially, especially if you've lost someone dear.
Hopefully, this starts to give you an idea of what they are doing right now. And I hope that brings you comfort. I also hope that it brings you hope. Because that's the point. Heaven offers hope. Heaven offers hope. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And and friends, if you're here today and your heart is troubled, right, if you're going through something, please hear those words directly from Jesus himself. He is saying them to you directly. They're wrote directly to you. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And if you haven't put your trust in God, you still can. Jesus says, put your trust or your faith or your hope also in me. Because Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He goes on into verse 2 and he says, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. Talking about heaven, home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And here's the best part. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Friends, that is a straight up invitation from Jesus to be where he is, to be home, to be in heaven. Heaven is a place without fear. It's a place without tears. There's no pain. There's no more separation. There's no more struggle. There is no more loss. Heaven offers hope. And just knowing that we can go home sometimes is all we need to just keep on going. And that's exactly what heaven should be. That's exactly what heaven should be for us. Heaven is our home. It is our reference point. The promise of heaven. The reality of heaven. The anticipation of heaven should fill us with an astounding, abundant, overflowing sense of hope. Let's pray.